Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Brad, what is the brand as a young boy growing up on the West Coast in Oregon and Seattle? What's the first brand that made an impact on you? Well, given that I grew up in uh, Beaverton, Oregon, is the home of Nike, I, I feel like I would be feel like I would be alienating all my people if I didn't say Nike. But I, I say that with a lot of pride and love because that brand was was and is so meaningful to me, and that's why I love that my kids today are still like so obsessed with Nike because that's how I felt. So when they're all like, dad, I want to get new shoes. My parents probably been like, no, I'm like, yes, because I feel like I still love that brand so much. And from a marketing perspective, but also just as a person, I, you know, to me, I, I benefited COVID as I get to wear Nikes every single day. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it. And the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Brad Hiranaga, the North American chief brand officer at General Mills, the 154-year-old company based in Minneapolis, with about $18 billion in revenue. General Mills has more than 100 brands in 30 categories, and here are some of my favorites. Cheerios, Wheaties, of course, Annie's Organic, which I had for lunch today, Haagen-Dazs, Betty Crocker, Nature Valley, Yoplait, and of course, Lucky Charms. Brad has been at General Mills for 16 years. Before that, he earned degrees from University of Puget Sound and Michigan Ross, where he was the lead writer in Ross's annual MBA comedy show. He's a big American football fan, passionate about brand purpose, and believes empathy is the key trait for marketers. This is my conversation with Brad Hiranaga. Well, Brad, welcome to the CMO Podcast. It's about time. Do you know when we first met? I do. I do know. Um, Do you remember back? It's been. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. So I'm not sure the year, but I'm going to guess 2000. 10 to 12, somewhere in there, I was in your CMO accelerated course in Cannes. Um, right. And uh, yeah, I was in your course. And so I was, I, I remember that very distinctly. I was, I was, General Mills allowed me to go to that. And uh, it was my, I think it was my first or second experience in Cannes and doing it within your course was, was awesome. Well, the program that you're talking about is the CMO accelerator, which is a program we do every year at the Cannes festival, which is, you know, did not happen this year. And you were a marketing director or something at the time, and now you're a CMO. So did we have a little something to do with that? You know, absolutely. I, I would I would be a I would be remiss not to mention, you know, the just just in the network alone, I think of the what you cultivated there was pretty incredible. I mean, there were folks, I think, across client side and agency side that you'd see speak on stages that were there in a, you know, our our class of can't remember exactly 2025 people. Mm-hmm. Um so for sure. And then, and then, you know, also I think the, and when we're, where you've, you know, focused so much of your work on purpose was such a, a, a huge kind of learning opportunity for me at the time. So a lot of that I took back 
to General Mills. Um, and then obviously just had a lot of luck along the way to fall into the position I'm in. But yeah, for sure. It had a huge, a huge impact on me. We're recording this around the American holiday of Thanksgiving. So let's talk about that for a little bit. So this is a good time of the year for General Mills. So I want you to share which of your brands really surge at this time, because you do have some seasonal brands. It's a great question. I would say the brand that's known for you know, Thanksgiving and probably all the way through you know, the holidays in December is Pillsbury. And so Pillsbury is about as Americana as you can get. And they, they have you know, in the portfolio is all sorts of different refrigerated dough products for the most part. So you have pie crusts, you have biscuits, um, sweet rolls. But the product that actually in, in all those that does really, really well is Pillsbury Crescent Rolls, which I've worked on before, which is probably why you're queuing this up for me to answer, which I appreciate that. Um, but but it's, it's interesting because that is that is the holiday um, that, that that brand does by far and away um, the most business. And in fact, we actually wrote a brief, um, yeah, this is 10, 15 years ago now, that was about Pillsbury, which was like, hey, let's get people to think about Crescent Rolls outside of Thanksgiving, which was the whole brief. And, and the idea was like, there's the great thing about Crescent Rolls is it's this versatile dough that you can for sure make delicious rolls that go with turkey and stuffing, but you can also create all sorts of other recipes with um, like Crescent Dogs in the summer or, you know, Crescent Wrap Brie, just put a chunk of Brie in there, you put in the, you have a great holiday appetizer. So it's this really Swiss army knife that you can always have in your refrigerator. And so that actually, that that allowed us, that 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 expansion of the thinking allowed us to get into all sorts of different other occasions that we've never taken that, that product and that brand before. There's a huge lesson in that, Brad. I mean, I think great, the great leaders I worked for in my career ask questions like that. You know, how can we make something relevant in a different context, a different occasion, think bigger, think outside our box, break out of the kind of mode we're in. So, uh, so that there's a good lesson in there for our listeners. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think we're at this real pivotal point in time. And you obviously have a ton of experience within CPG and working with across CPG, you know, different leaders. That, I, that it has been my experience that it, it, you know, you could exist within CPG marketing as kind of a really great optimizer. Like you could optimize your budget and you could optimize your, your plan and you could, you could get enough growth out of that, you know, traditionally. And I think the biggest shift that I've seen change over the last couple of years is exactly what you're saying is like, nope, that's not good enough because we have to hunt for growth and we got to look for growth. And these categories that were once impenetrable are no longer the case, especially as more shoppers move online. And there's really just fluidity in how people are thinking about food. And, you know, while I was pushing my cart down aisle six, so I could go get my crescent rolls. Now it's like, well, I can just click and I can be here, here and here. And if I'm not thinking about solutions, then I'm already like a step behind where the consumer is at. So I love the way you position that because I get a lot of inspiration by both internal and external from talking about people who are pushing to ask, just be curious. You know, that's what I think the best part about marketing is that you can just be curious and ask a lot of questions. And when you're a little kid, that's like a super annoying for your parents. But as a marketer, it makes you look like you're really smart, which That's I our job. Like yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> so tell me, what are the top General Mills brands in your house that surge around this time of year? Mm. Well, there's one brand that surges kind of throughout the year and is always in in my pantry, which is Lucky Charms. It's my favorite cereal that we have. Um, and this is a I, I've given this tip out to other parents before, people that have you know kid birthday parties. You know, as you're giving, if you're hosting a birthday party, it's actually one, I've not seen kids get more excited by giving them away as a going away prize or going away parting gift, a box of Lucky Charms. And I've done it with other cereals too, but I love to do that at birthday parties. It's like the joy of getting like a box of Lucky Charms is like nothing else. Um, 
that is always in my in my pantry. You know, another, what we just went by about you know two weeks ago, um, Halloween. Uh, the monster cereals are a are a sneaky, awesome brand that's not that big anymore, but it has a ton of cultural following, and so I love buying those when it's Halloween. And then um, I'm giving you more than you asked for, but I'll, I'll just give you one other. The other thing that's always a staple is Bisquick, which is something that um, my mom used to make growing up. And actually, I had a dog. I had a dog. My first dog I had as a Cocker Spaniel. His name was Biscuit. And his full official dog name, which is, sounds pretty lame, actually, but was Brad's Buttermilk Biscuit. And he was named after my, my love of biscuits. That's cute. <laughs> biscuits. Bisquick biscuits. I haven't told this story forever. So like that's um that's still to this day is something that even my kids ask for. They love making biscuits. So that's that's a staple. So your kids' favorite brands beyond General Mills? Interesting question. I you know, my I have two boys, super into sports. So Nike continues to be a huge brand for us. Like we just went to Dick's Sporting Goods this week to kind of like they're outgrowing everything. And so it it is definitely brand dependent. Like we don't even look at, you know, Under Armour and Adidas and some of those other things. It's like, no, let's go to Nike first. So that's a huge brand for them. Um, you know, I think I, I also, I also feel like outside of sports, cause that's an easy kind of, you know, area to, to go into, um, within gaming. I mean, there's all sorts of different titles that they're like super into, like, you know, Fortnite was, was huge about six to, to nine months ago and like Minecraft before that. Um, and then as it waves into like NBA 2K and now Madden is popular as like football's picked up. Um, they kind of go through cycles of that. And I don't necessarily know if they even call them brands, but obviously for us as marketers, we think of those as brands, but they are, they are heavily invested in those things, not just the gaming, you know, in the game, but also following the influencers and the creators that are like talking about the games all the time. They spend 90% of their time engaged in that versus any other kind of content. Um, and they're, they're, they're 14 and 11. So they're kind of right in that wheelhouse age, but that is, that is those, if they talked about their influencers, they would kind of think those are the brands that I follow, um, which makes me feel pretty old because I don't know who these <laughs> right. people are. That's important to be in touch with the kids though. Really? You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 I think you always have to ask what the kids are watching, thinking about doing, cause that's where the marketing needs to go. You're, you're totally right, Jim, because I, 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 I feel like it's a massive advantage to be a marketer with kids mm -hmm. that age. Because oftentimes when we're talking about things, you know, you, you're on top of it. So when TikTok was all of a sudden becoming a thing that marketers were trying to understand the platform, like I'd already know, I knew what it was. So when it came up, I was like, I don't know what that is. Are we talking about a game? Like, what is it? And so you're right. Like it, it, you, you stay on the cutting edge a little bit further. I remember actually when Fortnite was first a thing, my older son, who's a little bit, who's really probably more into the, my, like my younger one was like, hey, dad, you're, I was on Totino's pizza rolls all the time. He's like, we were doing a lot of partnerships with gaming. He's like, dad, you got to get on this thing called Fortnite. Like you should understand it. And I remember him telling me that. And then like six to nine months later, it had blown up and they were asking for a lot of money to partner with them. And if we just done it before, when he had said he could have probably paid for his college. So I, yes, that's my fault. So you just talked about your mom and your dog. You grew up in Seattle and Portland, which are two amazing brand and marketing cities, right? Uh, Amazon, Costco, Microsoft, Widening Kennedy, Nike, as we mm. talked, Starbucks. So Brad, were you destined to be a marketer? I feel really fortunate to have grown up in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm really proud, you know, when you sometimes you talk about people who are from, they're like, I don't like to say, I, I love saying that I'm from Portland and Seattle and I grew up there. And I didn't realize it until I probably was thinking about going back to school, back to business school, um, that I that I had been fortunate to like be in the shadow of all these amazing companies that were in the area. And 
when you when I grew up in in that area, I mean, the the, the companies that I was kind of always wanting to work for were, were mostly tech, and most of my friends were felt the same way. I went to college, and like, can I go to Microsoft? Can I go to Amazon? Um, you know, what what or can I go to a startup, which I was at for a little bit, and can I make my millions doing that? And that was a really driver. But in the background for me was always brands were always like a huge deal for me in, in, in what I was always more interested in and felt like I had an attachment to. And I grew up um, in Beaverton. I, I grew up, you know, basically all through elementary school in Beaverton. And so Nike was a huge, huge, you know, I already brought up Nike like three times in this, in this talk, but it was a huge brand for me um, and had a huge formative influence on, on who I followed and, what kind of clothes I wanted to wear, what kind of shoes I had and what athletes I, I admired. And so um, that to me was a big deal. Um, and, and I still love that brand to this day. And so when I think about all the other companies and I step back and I look at it, I, I said, yeah, I, it, you almost don't know it, but you're, I was fortunate just to be formed by all these things. And I, I did work at Starbucks for a little bit um, before I left for school. And the, you know, you always take something I think from every experience you have. And I, I was, I remember in those, those early years of, Howard Schultz kind of getting up, you know, in the middle of the cafeteria and talking about the Starbucks brand the experience we're going to provide. And I remember going through classes as a, as a barista, like in training, you learn how to make all the drinks and the experience that they had in that brand, what they expected was so remarkable at such an early stage for them. And I remember grabbing that and be like, Oh, I want to, I want to do that. How do I do that? And when I went back to business school, my, my intention was to go into marketing. I, I didn't know what CPG marketing really was. I just knew I love these brands. And so I feel fortunate that I found my way to it and had those experiences growing up. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about, a, we're, we're, I'm going to be ambitious for our next 40 or 45 minutes together. So I want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about being a CMO. I want to talk about social justice and the role of brands. I want to talk about the influence of some of your acquisitions and the future of brands coming out of the pandemic. Damn, so, some good topics. Brad, did you have your Wheaties this morning? I did. I'm ready. I'm ready to be a champion. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's jump in. Let's jump into leadership. Um, you're a leader who I know tries to build safe environments for people, an energized environment, a learning mindset. That's powerful. How do you do it? Hmm. I, you know, with great intention um, and, and patience and, and perseverance. And, I think, um, you know, I have worked for some amazing people in my career who, who promoted the same types of things. They gave me the space to really think and to lead in more creative ways. They, they, they let me fail. And, um, you know, I also, before that even grew up with teachers as parents, um, both my mom and dad, my mom taught middle school, my dad taught elementary school. And I think our environment growing up is always about learning. And so I've, you know, formatively had all those experiences that I think as a leader, that that's really the only way I knew how to be part of a team and how to lead people. And so um, we really try to do that. And what I found is like, you know, these great companies like General Mills and Procter and Gamble and all the rest, like they're so great. They've done so many amazing things. The downside of that sometimes it's, is it's hard to change when you've been so successful or for such a long period of time with people that generally want to stay at the company and have been very successful there. And I think while General Mills, you know, would say we've had a lot of successes, I, I think one of the things is that we we rate ourselves pretty hard on is like, are we changing quickly enough given all of the things that are happening externally? And the answer to me a lot of times is no, we're not. And so we have to learn to do that. And so we, we've tried to do different things along the ways. And this is through lots of trial and error for myself and teams to really set the right environments to allow us to be um, learning and then applying successes and then kicking failures out and say, okay, let's, let's go back to the table. And so 
One of the concepts that I'll just share that I think is interesting is, is something we call immersions, which is essentially like being able to set up the right environment around a team or a process or an initiative and give them the space so that they can work in a completely different way. And most of the time, just to be honest, it's funny because I'm, I'm a marketer, but I feel like I'm as much a marketer as I'm an HR person, is it's an organizational learning that we're trying to get after. And so it's what composition of the team needs to come together, what skill sets are missing, what's the, what's the culture that needs to be enabled for them to be successful, what capabilities are, 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 are good ones that we have that we should double and triple down on. And, and we're doing actually that right now. In fact, we've got, um, you know, as e-commerce has become, you know, 3% to 10% of our business essentially overnight, we, we have to work differently around that. And so as a marketer, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do we capture this market opportunity by, by switching into how we work? And that creates a learning mindset that, 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 that has to be something that we do differently because we weren't a company built in performance marketing and digital. We were built on traditional big campaign marketing. So, um, you know, I, I, we've had successes in those things and, and plenty of failures Jim along the way, but I think in what we've been able to do is, is get enough space to have proof points that then we can say, Hey, look, this worked. let's take this. And we have a great culture that once something works, everyone wants it and they can do the dissemination and the scaling of it. And so we've been able to kind of get a routine with that and set these immersions up and say, well, this is the learning objective. Give us the space, give us the time. Great. This is what we learned. Now let's take it and move to the next stage. And, um, I would say early on in my career, there was much, you know, much less pockets of that where that was happening. It would happen, it would happen here or there. We we try to set those up. Now, as I've gotten a bigger role, I can be much more intentional about setting them up in many more places and really connect them so that we're having a bigger impact for transformation in terms of how we build our brands and how we try to grow. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. How do you deal, you talked about this a moment ago, how do you deal with fear of failure? You know, in these large companies where there are career paths like P&G, like General Mills, like Kellogg's, like Pepsi, you know, a lot of leaders struggle with that because as much as we sometimes talk it, if someone makes a mistake, they get behind someone else and their career takes a stumble. So any, any insights from you in dealing with this on a day in and day out basis? Yeah. And I, I would, I would love to sit here and proclaim that I'm super brave about every choice I've made in my career. And that every time someone on my team or with me makes a mistake, I've been like super forgiving about it. But you know, that's, that's not reality. There, there are times I think when you're, when you're going to be scared and I might, I might've taken the, the cautious or more risk averse path. Um, but ultimately I think it comes down to like really build, you know, building enough, building enough knowledge and empathy and consumers and really truly trying to understand the, the problems they have and trying to solve them in ways that's going to make their lives better. Like ultimately, I think that's what we're trying to do as, as marketers and business people. And then being convicted enough to say, I'm going to try these things. And if that's, if, if I can, if I can do it with that intention um, and I fail, at least I was trying to do it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'll give you an example of, of an area where I, I can totally failed. I mean, we, we a few years ago, we were, um, trying to, you know, move our, you know, we'll talk about Totino's again. We we're trying to move our Totino's brand into more culture, um, in, in more, kind of like more of a, you know, more, more of a mature brand. It was for after school snacks. We're saying this is actually more of a teenage kind of early millennial at the time, young adult kind of brand. And so with that kind of came new places that that brand needed to show up in media and with partners. And so 
at the time we were like, Hey, this is the place that we want this brand to show up is, is with uh, a movie that we, that I, that I and our team thought was going to be really big, which was Deadpool. And we're like, this, this is the perfect brand for us. It's irreverent. It's absurd. It's still kind of got this like nerd factor to it, but it's cool. Just like our brand. It's like the perfect partner for our brand. And we had done a lot of work and I will say, I'll be completely honest. That is my favorite comic book superhero. So that there was a little bit of bias in that, mm-hmm. but we went out and we did the work and we we're like, this is perfect. And I remember we, we got to a level and they were, <laughs> they're like, they, hey, this is a rated R movie. And we're like, yes, we, but here's why. And like, general Mills does not do rated R. And we're like, okay, well, I, I think we still need to take it up a level because I, we, we, we got to push. And so I remember I got an audience with our current CEO, Jeff Harmoning, who's a great marketer. And I remember going into that meeting and we had this framework that the team had sketched out of like, how dangerous is this movie for us to be a part of as General Mills, which is a pot, we know we have Cheerios and Annie's and all these other brands. And I remember going up into it, the framework was like, how many F words did it use? How many S words did it use? How many sex scenes are there? How graphic are they? And I remember having to go through that kind of line by line with him. And he was the head of North America at the time. And I remember sitting there being like, okay, I've done some things I probably should get fired for. I am definitely walking out of here getting fired. Cause he's like, why is this kid wasting my time going through this stuff? But to his credit, he said, yep, let's lean into it. You guys have done the work, which I was like, wow. Now, ultimately other decisions from the CEO down, they said no. And we, we, but, but at the same time, what I would say, we took shots and that was ultimately not successful. That was a, we didn't do it. And that movie was hugely popular and we felt like we missed an opportunity. That being said today, we, we, and I'm not here to say like, I'm here to say like General Mills is doing all these risque things, but we've pushed into culture that we need to be based off the consumer and what the brain is trying to do with really smart, you know, guidance and guardrails around that. And that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't, you know, as a brand, taken a shot at that and said, let's loosen this up a little bit. We're, we're, we're working off an archaic, frame, like archaic guide roll guidelines. Our, our competitors are like Taco Bell and Doritos and Red Bull. They are not, they're not restricting themselves. We are. And so even though that meeting was super awkward and comfortable probably for both of us, like I feel like now we're doing different things and that had to happen. But at the time, it did not feel great to do it. Yeah. But as you said, your intention was right, right? The strategy was right. Maybe the execution was not the best, but yep. the strategy was right. Right. Completely. Completely. And it was for the consumer. We were like, we were thinking of that. And that is a, that is a good thing to always go back to. Yeah. Who were some of your leadership models, role models? Well, I would say, you know, I haven't, I haven't met him. Um, but, and, but, and so it's an, it's more of an admiration from afar. Um, but Paul Pullman at Unilever, um, is a big one for me and especially more recently. And, you know, I've gone back and watched him speak, um, and really watched him, you know, share, um, his, his philosophy on business, but also on society. And we've lifted in a lot of ways, just basically taken like their playbook from Unilever and said, we're, we're going to apply some of these same principles to how our, how our, we want to, um, state our mission and what we want to be transparent with to our internal employees, but more importantly, our external world about what we are going to go achieve and what objectives we have and hold ourselves accountable to reaching those goals. And so even though he, I've never met him and, and, you know, I, but, and only watched it from afar, I've got to say like that philosophy and and the belief in doing good and really saying, I, I believe that this is going to create a virtuous cycle for my business is something very motivating as a marketer. Um, because I think, you know, it, where, as I get older, the, the, the impact that I want to make is I want to do awesome brand work and create great campaigns and have new product innovation that works and all that good stuff. As I've gotten to this next stage, I'm like, I got to do, I got to be, I got to do more than that. Like I'm, I've been afforded this role in this platform. I have to, I have to push us to do better. And I do believe companies that believe in doing good is good business. I, I believe that's the only way to work. And that's, that's one of the fundamental reasons why I just I stay and I love working at Mills is because of that. 
And I think the way that Paul was able to do that with a huge company like Unilever and lead the way is so motivating to watch. I mean, I just, I just see that over and over. And I've heard, again, I've just only heard him speak. I, I, I love that he was able to do that with such a big company. Um, and I'll just mention a second person that I've had a little bit of contact, which I think is a great leader is, is, is Mark Pritchard. I mean, that's probably an easy answer and you probably get that from a lot of guests, but, um, I think I've, I've met Mark a few times and I think he says what he means. CMO of PNG. CMO of Proctor. Yep. And, and he is just a really great, um, I mean, similar things that Paul's saying, but also pushing that. And I've seen the changes that Proctor's made. And so great leaders, I, I think that I've seen, you know, leading their, their businesses, um, in ways that are transformational. And I think why I give that a lot of credit is big businesses like this, and you know from firsthand doing it yourself, are hard to change. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And so I just, I'm an, I admire the shifts for good that they've been able to accomplish. Yeah, great examples. What are your strengths, Brad, do you feel as a leader? And what, maybe more importantly, are you still working on? So I did this really cool evaluation tool this summer. And with, with a, with a, with a coach that I work with, his name's Charles Day and he's, and he's a great, great, I know Charles, you know, Charles. Yeah. yeah. Great. Oh yeah. You guys are probably, yes. He's an awesome guy. And, um, and it was a, a leadership tool that talked about, you know, where do you have strengths and, and opportunities? And it looked at it more through a creative leadership lens. And I'm going to be real transparent here because I think it's helpful for people to hear from their own learning. But like I, I, what I was really good at or what I scored highly on was, vision and strategy and see the future and transformation and all that stuff and stuff I love and stuff I think that our company, a big CPG, like it needs. And so that made me feel really good. And I agree that those are probably my strengths. I also think my strengths are like inspiration and bringing company along and, and moving people forward. But in that specific tool and the way that the measurement came out, it's like there was a lot of opportunity for me in that. And I realized that, you know, where I was in my career three or four years ago when I needed to really help kind of set a vision and say and, 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 and help us establish our mission in a, in, a, in a way that we were going to build brands in a more modern approach, I needed to be the strategic visionary leader. But now is a time for me to shift back. And now that I've been able to put more talent around me and on my team and get people in the right roles, they can do a lot of that work. But I need to step back as a leader to really make sure that I'm listening to my teams. I'm empathetic to what's happening and I'm bringing people along. And that's always been a challenge for me in my career. And I'm, I'm curious if you have the same, the same challenge of like, when you're a marketer and you see kind of what consumers are telling you, what cultures, what's happening in culture, and you're excited about the future, it's like you want to step forward to it, but you also have to realize there's other people that are doing the day-to-day -day work that aren't necessarily looking at it the same way or thinking about it as much. And so I think straddling that divide for me, you know, I was, I was leaning on one foot a little bit too much and I needed to come back to be more balanced so that I could help people see the path and the bridge to where we needed to go as a company and what that meant for their jobs and for our marketing and everything else. And so I'm working on that. I'm constantly working on that. I think it's a important part of me being, I, I feel like I'm good at it, but I'm clearly was not delivering it. So that's an opportunity I'm really focused on over the next year to really make sure I'm, 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 I'm bringing that part of the organization with me. I think that's a challenge as we get more senior because we, yeah. we, we see it, we know where we want to go. We're impatient to get there and we are, and that, and not everyone has access to all the information and data and contacts that we do. Yeah. So uh, I think the biggest thing is, is in, as I got more senior and I think for yourself as well, focus becomes more important, clarity, consistency, and bringing everyone with you. Mm -hmm. And it always takes longer than we think, but in, in some ways, that's just how it is. I think that 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 advice is so good because 
I do feel impatience and I'm, I'm sure you did too. Like when you see the path and you're like, oh, this is just, if we just did it like this, if we could just get to here, it would be so much better. Um, and maybe if you're an entrepreneur and doing it on your own, that, that works just fine. But for, you know, tens of thousands of employees and billions of dollars of revenue, that's, that's just not, that's just not necessarily realistic. So I think it's great advice. I do, I do feel like that is the, you know, even right now in this pandemic for General Mills and for, you know, a lot of at home food, it's been a accelerator. And I will be honest in saying, I feel urgency all the time to make sure that we're like preparing ourselves for the future and what that looks like and how we think about retention and how we think about a more omni-channel approach. And we've been thinking about that before, but now I feel like it's on hyperdrive. And so I'm constantly like feeling that urgency and that need that we need to be here. And we're not only here. And so, um, but I, but back to your point, it's like, you got to have patience to get there sometimes too, even when you feel, when you feel the need for speed. I don't know if I... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is, do you feel you'll, do you feel like your organization right now is because of this urgency to move to e-commerce and how the consumer has shifted so quickly? Are they more energized and creative than they were before COVID, or do you think not? I think um, creative, yes. Energized, I would say that ebbs and flows. And I think given the amount of time it's been, that's why I say that. Um, just because I think with some par- pockets of like, wow, people are feeling really good and the you know, ideas are flowing. And it's like, wow, we're still in this whole thing. And now mm-hmm. another crazy thing has happened out in the world. Um, where the ideas and the creativity have gotten so much better is where we've gotten, I think, closer to understanding the consumer needs. This goes back to like, you know, understanding where people are at in their lives and what problems they're having. And one of the things we've talked a lot about is we've all had to live at home more. We all are having to bake or create more food options around where we're all having to deal with kids being around or, um, you know, much smaller groups of people, all the, all the challenges. And I think that's making us more empathetic to the plight of everybody else. And so our marketing that we're doing is actually more rooted in solutions and utility than it's ever been. And, and not that it doesn't mean we don't look for joy and entertainment. Like that's still part of the, by the bag of marketing tricks that we've got. Um, I shouldn't say tricks, but the bag of marketing that we, mm-hmm. we put into place. But so the, those things I think are making our marketing better because when people are, are 22 years old and they're out living for the first time and they're, they're isolated, but they have to make meals for themselves because the other things aren't available. You know, Betty Crocker or Pillsbury can stand up and say, Hey, type in your age, your, or no, your age, type in all this information about yourself that you, your cooking skills, and we can give you a super great solution on things that you have on hand to make for dinner tonight. And that utility and that functionality is like such a great way to do marketing versus like, Hey, there's, there's an ad about this product that we want to like shove into front of your face. It's, it's what we've been talking about for modern marketing, I think for a long time. So, so more of our marketing is coming forward like that. And I think that's really helping us, you know, be there for people, but then also competitively win against our competitor, you know, competitive, competitive share that we're trying to achieve as well. And so I think that's really important. Like we, we want to be there and, and grow with consumer needs, but also, you know, continue to have a bigger base that we're, we're selling to. I'm hearing this word utility and usefulness much more than I ever have. You know, every CMO is talking about that. So I think we'll talk about this later in the podcast, but I think that's one of the lasting changes as we come through this. Once you have teams that are, are really trying to be helpful for people, to be useful, to understand what they're having trouble with and solving that, which brings joy you know, the better we'll be. That's, that's great marketing. You couldn't have said it better. I mean, that, that, that's, that's true. I mean, getting obsessed on the consumer problems that that people Mm -hmm. are having and are encountering and then creating, being creative about that. That's what I think true marketing is. I think sometimes in, in my own, even in my own case, we've gotten lost in like, well, I want to make this really cool, creative thing. And it's like, does that solve the problem though? 
Because if it doesn't, that's great in and of itself, but not really for what we're trying to do with these consumers. And, and getting back to that and that usefulness is, I hope that sticks around because I do think that's going to be, it's going to make our jobs a lot more meaningful and also a lot more important. Now, let's talk a bit more about being the chief brand officer for General Mills North America, which you've been for almost four years. And I want you to talk about, you were 13 years at the company, working on lots of different brands. That's where I met you. Mm -hmm. Then you got thrown into or promoted into a corporate role. Yeah. How was that? How was that transition? You know, when, I can't believe it's been four years in this role, but when I think back to that, the, the transition timing was really, was difficult. It was, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, people changing roles. There were some organizational changes that we were making. Um, our performance wasn't in the best spot. And so I kind of came in during a lot of turmoil. Um, that being said, the ability that the company had given me by kind of moving me back and forth between running PLs on brands and then going back to more centralized kind of capabilities and future thinking really put me in a great position to have a have a pretty good plan of what I thought we needed to do for our marketing right away. So I didn't need to get my feet wet and then really get a lay of the land. Like I was like, okay, I know what we need to go and do. And so, um, you know, I, I always think it's important if for people that are in these central roles to be able to kind of Again, this, this concept of straddling both worlds. If I had just come in, I think, and been this like marketing guy that didn't know the business, then I would have been maybe great with ideas, but I wouldn't have gotten traction. If I would have just been the business person that was thinking about the day to day, I could have run the business, but I wouldn't have had the expertise I needed to kind of like provoke deeper, bigger thinking. And so that's been fortunate for me to be able to kind of bounce back between these jobs and then get into a role where they're like, okay, the marketing is not working where we need to be. We, we need to, we need to, we need to have someone to come in here and help us. And so I, I feel really fortunate to be able to do that. And then the other part of it for me is like, you know, I've got teams of people that are in operating units on brands. And so um, while I also have folks that are more central capability drivers, I got a good balance of both those things. And while at the end of the day, I don't, I'm not responsible for the P&Ls, like they have the, 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 the operating units are responsible for that. Um, we still measure our success on growth, on penetration, on market share, on, on building the brand equity. Like those are the things that we care about. And so, um, you know, if I don't do that, I don't get, I don't get, I don't get, you know, incented. And so I are compensated for that. So that's important to kind of, for me, I, I you know, it's so hard because I, I, I do feel like, you know, having some level of accountability when I was on the business side, I love that. And I, I miss that part of it, but I also love the forward thinking and the developing for the future. And so I've gotten pretty much almost the perfect job of being able to do both those things in a way that I think helps raise both boats, which is what, you know, as companies, as you know, like attaching and connecting people at these leadership team levels across, across functions, across segments, across brands is so hard to do when these companies are matrixed. And I actually think that my role has evolved over the last year or so to be like, Hey, Brad, help us think about how sales needs to come together and our, our technology stack needs to come together. And our insights group needs to be a part of this. And also, by the way, our R&D and how we're thinking about holistic innovation, not just about products. And I love being at the epicenter of all those things. And I think as a marketer, that's that's kind of how my job is evolving. And I, I'm curious if you hear that from other people, too, because I just I do think we can be the great connectors for companies. And it's a little bit of a different role than in the past. Yeah, it's a bigger scope. And that is a trend. I think people are getting bigger briefs as CMOs, which is mm -hmm. great. Now, you, you came in with some turmoil at General Mills, and I remember that. And you, you had a good feeling of what had to happen and what needed to do. So could you comment a bit about what were your immediate priorities when you came into this role as Chief Brand Officer North America? And has that 
change dramatically? Are you still working on those priorities? Because shifting a culture and how you build brands and so on takes time. Yeah. I would say right out of the gates, there was a big question of um, our people within our marketing function feeling a little bit kind of tethered, not really tethered to anything. And so there was a big opportunity to step in and provide a little more of a North Star to where we were going and a sense of identity for what our marketing was really about. And I would say on that particular point from then to now, we've made a lot of progress. Like we, that some of the people that were, were there at the time have left and we brought in other people that are, had, you know, the skills we needed and we're building the culture. Some of those people that were there have accelerated their careers and gone into other things. And so it's been a good mix of continue to build the culture with, you know, people who have been around and new people as well. Um, but to your point, that, that work, I don't feel like that work is ever going to be done. Like I feel like our culture is now evolving to the next stage. One of the big things our culture needed to do as the market, as our marketing group that was supporting a lot of these brands was take more accountability for the work. Like a lot of times it was like, well, I'm just here to influence on the side and I'm consulting a little bit. It's like, my thing was like, no, this is your role. You're, you're accountable for this. And, um, and, and coming into this, you know, Ivan Pollard is, is, is the global CMO and came in from Coke and, he talked a lot about, um, you know, marketing really helping understand and identify what is good and our, our business team identifying what is right. And, and I didn't think our good was good enough. I was like, I don't think we need to elevate good and we need to be accountable for that. So we are still working on that because I think marketing is so holistic. It's evolving and changing so much to be good at it all the time. You're, it's, a, it's a moving target, which I think is fine. The other big second part of it that I think was broken for us was our, our approach to brand building. We had some really great tools of the past. And I'm going to get to purpose in a second because I think it's really interesting. We had these really great, you know, architectures that had like brand promise on it. Um, and we tried, and I was part of the group that had introduced purpose back into Mills back in like the, you know, 2012 time. And it never really stuck in the right way. Um, and, and a lot of our other tools had gone by the wayside. And so when I got to the job, we had people briefing with their own briefs. We had brand foundations that were not consistent. We, we didn't have an, a planning approach that necessarily worked as well as I wanted it to. And so just getting back to the foundation of some of that basics was, was work that we had to do. And the good thing was we had all these remnants from the history and our great partners that came in and we built that up really fast. And then, but then driving that through the organization and getting our, all of our teams to use it. And the challenge for, for us is we have six operating units in North America. Um, we have 30, 30 plus categories that we operate in. Um, we are in, have a hundred brands. And so just to get consistency, it's not just like we're aiming at, you know, just Cheerios. We had to think about everything. Um, in, in year one, we weren't there and year two, we were about halfway there. And then last year we, we got to almost 80, 90%. And now we're getting close to being, okay, we're running this very consistently. Um, now the interesting thing is that brand building approach has shifted again and e-commerce has come in. And I always, we always talk about e-commerce as the Trojan horse for CPG marketing of like, okay, we're, it's going to like, it's going to sneak up on us and then we're going to have to tip it over and we're going to be, our model's not going to work as well as it needs to. And so that's the next phase. And I'm, I'm. While I'm still focused on the culture, I'm still focused on making sure our brand building is really good. I'd say like when I put my priorities on a piece of paper, my year one, those were number one and two. Those are still on the paper, but some of these other more transformational changes that have happened are probably leapfrogged ahead just because we just don't know how to do them. And, and that's where I think coming in and being a problem solver as a marketer, that's like I get a ton of energy from like, okay, I want to take this on. How do we become a purpose-led marketing organization, but also a performance-led marketing organization and do both those things simultaneously? Um, and, and I think, you know, every company's struggling to add one or the other, depending on how they were, how they were created. And so that's where I am now. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Cause like, we kind of know how to do this, but not fully yet. And, but we have a lot of assets and pieces 
But now I got to connect them all across the organization with our technology teams, with our sales, all that stuff we talked about before. So I, that's, that's where the, the, the continuous innovation happens and how my priorities are shifting. When you think about the brand building approach at General Mills when you came in 2016 versus today and going into 2021, what's the biggest difference? I would say the biggest difference, you know, one of the things that I think we do a, a really good job on in our approach is executing our ideas um, and, and getting really like once the idea is set, like blowing it out in the market and putting it where it needs to be. And that could be, you know, with shopper marketing, that could be through PR efforts, that could be in design anywhere that, could, that, that shows up. And I think that went from a, you know, we we're okay at that to like, I think our teams are really great at that. Um, I think this sh what's shifting a little bit is is more the front end though of of our brand build. Oh, actually, I'll say two things: more the front end of our brand building and more the tail end of the brand building. The front end of it that's shifting is more of like we we are having to work really hard to get more specific about who our brands are for. And you know, you know, we we joke a lot that we're General Mills, and sometimes our our, our targets are too general because we're trying to reach everybody and and get we're 90 percent of the houses in America, which is you know almost every single house. And so I understand that, but as, as you know very well, like if you're not understanding the segments and the targets you're going to go after and how we're going to position the brands to go after them, that's old school. That's just marketing foundations. We're, 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 going to, we're not going to come up with the best briefs to get to the right ideas. So we've really been focused on that part. And there's work that's happened to really get us more sound strategically to make those choices. And then as the face of America has changed, as it's, you know, all of the growth in families is being driven by Hispanic and multicultural populations, as the aging population is so much larger and we've been a portfolio of brands for families, we don't always think about that audiences overtly. We're starting to make shifts to be like, okay, how do we think about those, those growth bases in more overt ways? And so that part has probably sh is shifting more, more of our time and energy as marketers is going into that. And then the back end is more just the measurement and the learning and the optimization that's happening in real time. So we always kind of, we, you know, we, before I'd say our marketing was, you know, more static in our brand building approach. As you've added this more strategic, insightful, driven front end and analytic measurement driven back end, and then trying to figure out how to connect that cycle, that's where we are today. And that, that looks different than it did a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to have a tough question for you, maybe an unfair one, but you have a view of 100 brands in 30 categories. Which brand, in your opinion, has the most untapped latent potential in your portfolio? Mm. I think, well, I'd love to give you two, but I'll, I'll, I'll pick one because you asked for one. I, I think a brand that we acquired about seven or eight years ago, Annie's, is an amazing brand um, and an interesting brand because, you know, most of our brands play within one category. And, you know, Cheerios is a cereal, Nature Valley's, Nature Valley's expanded a little bit, but Nature Valley's is a bar, granola bar, snack. Annie's is interesting because Annie's is in multiple categories across the store and it has an interesting story and positioning, but it's very, it's a very mission driven brand. It's out in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. It believes in social good. It's, you know, it's had some amazing people like John Forker, who was a founder of that brand was with it for a long period of time. And they have all these really big aspirations. Um, the, the opportunity for us to like up, up level, um, you know, kids meals to a place where mom's, and parents feel great about it, you know, and, and, and take it to a level and, and while doing social good. And they're also very heavily invested in regenerative agriculture and the benefits of the planet that that has is something that I think is like is untapped. 
And if you ask anyone in the company, they would all probably agree and say like, Andy's has so much upside. Now, Andy's has been growing and growing its macaroni and cheese business and its crackers and its fruit snacks. All those businesses are growing. I just think there's so much upside to thinking about that portfolio and the positioning of what we have and, and what it was built on. That's built in a very modern way, especially for these times where people expect brands to do good um, and have a point of view on things that there's a lot we can do with it. The other second one that I think is really interesting, Jim, is, is not a food brand, but is a brand that we have, which is Box Tops for Education. That is a brand that's been around for 20 years. You know, the stats we have is given about a billion dollars to schools. It has not been, it's, it's been digitized in a way um, where it's moved from clipping off the package to scanning receipts and uploading them. So you could have a personalized experience to donate that money to your schools. We are, that is a, now a digital first brand and creating all sorts of insights for us as a company that is very proprietary and different. That to me is a brand that's helping us figure out with our food brands, how do we transform ourselves to, to operate in that way? Hmm, cool. Good example, actually. Uh, you know, uh, let's keep talking about Annie's and some of your other emerging brands. You've been pretty acquisitive over the last several years. So I can reel off Lara Bar, Immaculate Baking, Cascadian Farms, Annie's, of course. I'd like you to talk about how has that changed your base culture? Hmm. And have any of those brands or cultures been especially influential on your cultural journey at General Mills on the core brands? I love that question. Yeah, because I think so many times it's easy to say, I can see how those brands will help expand our portfolio to new need states and how they'll add incremental sales to us. I do think my interest in those brands is exactly what you've always said is like, what can we learn from them that they're doing that we don't know how to do? Or what parts of the culture can we kind of like just take and adopt into our own bigger, the bigger machine of General Mills? Um, the, the Annie's is a brand. I'll just really quickly hit on this one because I think it's, it's probably the best answer um, that we've taken a lot of these ideas about being a force for good from. I mean, mo a lot of our examples and how they how they were trying to build that into their brand foundation and their ecosystem are things that we've taken and said, let's apply that to our whole business in General Mills. Like that's just smart for us to do that. So I'd say culturally, that has had a big impact. And the people that are in that office out in California, they believe that and they bring that with them. And I think the, through this pandemic, like the the shift that we've made in our own purpose, even at General Mills, of moving from you know, being a company that makes food people love to make food that people need has been an up level in our own mission that people are now feeling that same kind of energy and, and importance of what they do, which is great, great case study for us about purpose. The other brand that's really interesting, <clears throat> completely different part of the, of the store is Blue Buffalo. And Blue Buffalo, and I don't work on that directly, but Blue Buffalo, you know, over a billion dollar business um, for pet food, they, they are so tuned in to their consumer and the life journey that people take with their pets that they are thinking about every step of that consumer journey from when you have a puppy to the first vet appointment to when it's, you know, old enough to, you know, move into the next phase of its life to on and on and on. And they market around that journey um, in, a, in an amazing way. And, you know, 30% of their business is online through commerce. Like they're, they're just, they're just further along there. And so what I love about that is like we, I think for, for people food are a little further behind where they are. And we are learning from how they're doing that and pulling that into our marketing capabilities so that we can accelerate our journey to, to be able to operate in that kind of way. Yeah. Great examples. A number of your brands have spoken up and taken a position with the things that are going on in society. Wheaties, of course, has done it, and uh, Fruit Gushers, and your company corporately has taken a stand in a few areas. I, I'd like you, how do you make those decisions? 
I'm more interested in how you make those decisions versus the decisions you make. Um, it's a great question. And, you know, as when George Floyd was, was, was murdered, it was, it was right in Minneapolis where General Mills is from. And so that had a profound impact, you know, across, across the country, across the world, but certainly in this city. And, you know, I think the first initial instinct of everybody was, oh my gosh, we gotta do something. And, um, you know, again, not being, being a house of brands, that's a different position, I think, than maybe being, you know, one brand that you could kind of collect, you know, coalesce what that means and what you need to go forward. And so we had to take a step back because, you know, as a company, General Mills has actually done a lot of great stuff, um, specifically for, for, and with a black community. We have this, um, I think the second largest Martin Luther King breakfast that General Mills founded and hosts every year. We're a big part of the, the consortium efforts, which is a big recruiting conference that goes on that's for people of color. And so like General Mills has been involved with these things and our basic, most important value that we have is like, do the right thing all the time. And so, but we looked at that and we're like, you know what, that's not even enough. And so as leaders, we had to have a lot of hard conversations over the summer of like, okay, what, what do we need to do? Because at the same time, we have employees who are black and people of color who are, who are hurting. We, 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 people felt, you know, uneasy in the city that we're living in. And so there was a lot of pressure to kind of look at that and say like, okay, what, what decisions do we need to make? Um, and what things need to be overtly stated both to our employees and to the, to the public about, about how we stand. And, and most importantly, I think was what we came back down to is we don't want to just talk about stuff. We want to actually take action. So if we're going to take action, then we have to be committed to it. So both for our brand and then also for our company, we kind of, we established this framework of like saying, okay, what's your, what is our, what's our, what's our mission, you know, for general, it's being a force for good for a brand like Gushers. It's actually about, um, it's about diversity and uniqueness. That's what their whole purpose is like celebrating that. And as we got into it, we started to start to think about, okay, then, then what, what gives us the right to say something or the right to act? Um, and clearly we sell a lot of our food to um, a lot of black people. And clearly that we have a lot of important black employees that work here and people on our board. Like it's just, so we're like, we need to be involved here. And so then we said, okay, well then where can we add value and where can we solve the problems? And for General Mills, there's a few different areas. One was in the area of hunger. Hunger is a huge, you know, there's a huge divide. Obviously there's the gaps increasing through COVID, but people of color are disproportionately more affected by, by, by food insecurity. Um, and then there was the opportunity for us to step in, in terms of education. So back, back to box tops, you know, we have a big impact on the education and the dollars that schools get. We weren't necessarily helping the achievement gap because a lot of the people that were donating money were in suburban schools. And so we said, well, how do we think about this and reframe this for schools that are in need? And, and how do we first actually help in Minneapolis versus thinking about we get to do this at a, at, a, at a nationwide level? And so getting and then bringing in partners that um, that were experts in that space and figuring out what we could do together. And so we were deliberate and there's like a few other things that we did around representation, but we were very deliberate in that approach, Jim, so we could like understand the problem we wanted to solve. And then we said, OK, we're going to commit to this and then let's take action to get against it and then let, let's move and start to make progress. And I'd say we've been on that journey and doing that now, and I've been really excited to see us make that progress. In fact, tonight I have a, a call after this to talk through our educational commitments. And um, and I think, that, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, I, I, you know, if we had more time, I'd go into the whole um, fruit gushers example because there that caused a lot of controversy internally to figure out what was the right approach to that um but ultimately i'm glad i'm so glad we did it because we're in a better position now that we can we can have these conversations and we know how we can show up um to support consumers and employees that are super important to us again it gets back to your intent because i know i heard you on npr speaking about that issue a while ago 
and you did a great job. But your your intent is good, and when the intent is good, I think people forgive when you make some mishaps. I think you're totally right. And and we said up front, like we're gonna probably screw this up because, but we're trying to do the right thing. Um, and no matter what you did, I mean, if you, you didn't say anything, it's like that's wrong. If you said something in the wrong way, that's wrong. If you did an action, and Fruit Gushers is a funny brand. It's like what's Fruit Gushers talking about the Black Lives Matter movement? Like what what is that about? Um, and then when you go back into it and then the history, then you pull it forward and say, okay, what problems can we solve? And I love that example of like, how do we amplify black voices? Because that's important to the brand. And the brands had tons of partners that are amazing black creators and athletes and influencers. And so they went, they went out and they knew what they wanted to do. And then they brought mm-hmm. in a great partner like NAACP, put together an amazing plan. And now it's, now it's, now it's being re- awarded externally for the work it's done. And the great thing about that is like, it's the belief back to that Paul Pullman thing again, it's like doing good. And the intent of that was to do good. But it's also good for the brand and good for business and good sure. for culture and creates that amazing cycle of, of good. Now, last question before we go into the lightning round. What do you think will be the two or three biggest changes to brands and brand building coming out of this pandemic someday? I think you, you hit on one really beautifully, which is like if your brand is not solving a problem for people and that problem can be big or small or, you know, a lot or once in a while. I think it's not going to be, you're, 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 you're not, on, you're not in the starting place. Like you have to understand the problems that you're solving. And I think COVID has exacerbated that. So that's one thing. I think a second thing that's going to stick around, at least for us, is just this, you know, in, in CPG was probably the laggard, but like this idea that everything is digitally connected. And so as we think about our marketing, it's not just the marketing, it's the experience that we're creating. And I go back to what you were saying a little bit about who we who we compare benchmark to. And I like to compare benchmark to other CPGs. I think that's good. But I'm actually more keen to look at other um, companies in technology that are, you know, that are essentially on my phone that are going to be like, they're personalized. They know me. Every time I go to it, I get what I want. It's solving a problem or it's giving me information that I need at that, that moment. And I think that's the bar we're trying to create for our marketers. How do you how do you think about that as for if you're the brand manager of Cheerios? Or the brand manager of, of of Nature Valley is that on is that on your mind? And and right now it has we've, we're shifting there. So I think that mm-hmm. that we're going to get accelerated to go and do that. And then I think the third and last one for me is just this idea. We've talked about this internally a lot. Is like how do we show up as human leaders? And that's where I get a lot of energy around this idea. And it sounds kind of silly in some ways, but like this idea of having deep empathy and curiosity for for people that you work with, for people that work for you, for for your bosses, for everybody. And I think this world, like being able to see into each other's houses and being able to have these conversations and, you know, my kid walks in, my dog was barking in the background. Like those are things that we wouldn't necessarily get if in a, in a pre-COVID world. And I, I would say like some of our leaders have showed up in such a human way at General Mills that I'm always like, yes, I want to, that's how I want to see you. And I know that's how people want to see me. And so I try to be vulnerable about things that I may have not talked about more, more openly. One of the things I just brought up the other day, in fact, we're talking a lot about mental health. And, and one of the topics that came up was like, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I've, I've gone to see a therapist before. And people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you shared that. And I was like, well, yeah, a couple of years ago, I absolutely would not have. But now I'm like, now as we try to normalize this and create, st- I, I can actually make a lot of people maybe feel better about that if I'm willing to say that. And so I just think this humanization of, of, of a leader and bringing your full self to whatever, you know, whatever thing you're doing in work is a trend that I hope sticks around, too. So listen, I want to go into this really fun lightning round to get you get to know you a bit better as a leader and person to close this out. What's your favorite fun fact about your company, General Mills? General Mills um, actually at one point was owned the company that made um, Star Wars character, Star the Star Wars play figurine characters. 
like back in the eighties, we were actually a fairly big player in the toy space, which I was like, Oh my God, that's why toys and cereal boxes went so well together. All right. I want to hear about your biggest mistake or flop in your career. Yeah. I, well, <clears throat> I have a few, but one of the ones, um, I worked on Totino's pizza, um, which is dollar pizza, which is sold, you know, in the freezer section. And that pizza is literally for people in college or high school or whatever that want to eat like a lot of pizza and, and do it on a budget. And we changed the shape of the pizza um, a few years ago from a circle to a square. And we did a ton of research. And all the research was like, no, people think it's more modern. It feels like it's right. It's easier to store in your freezer. And gut-wise, I was like, this feels... I came into the project halfway through and I was like, this feels weird, but okay. Okay, the the the, the, the research is validating it. We launched it and literally it like took a 10% like nosedive. And I knew there was... We knew there was going to be some, but it took a nosedive and it sustained for a while on a nosedive. And I literally was like... Oh my God, I just tanked this business. <laughs> and luckily we we tactically surrounded to kind of buoy it back up and and ultimately got it back to where the business was before and started to grow. But it was a it was a it was a business decision that we did because we thought it was better for the consumer. It was also better in terms of our manufacturing facilities, too, truth be told. But I and so it was for all the right reasons, but it's one of those good instances. I was like, when something in your gut isn't right as a marketer, you gotta you gotta interrogate it more and more. Um, I I can't leave that one alone. Why did it pit? Why do people like the circle more than the rectangle? They just felt like it fit. Like oh, here's a, here's a, here's one reason. It, it it fits better on my plate. Okay. And I was like, yeah. okay, right. well that makes sense. Um, yeah. And it's just like I I people that bought that pizza, they don't just buy one once in a while. They buy like twenty. Yeah, it, it's 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 a very high volume loyal consumer, and we didn't we didn't please them with that change. Hmm. So, what are you reading these days? I'm reading actually. I'm actually reading a lot of books on leadership, um, and I, I feel like there's there's a good um, you know for me like going deeper into understanding other leaders that are and what they're doing is is a place I'm spending a lot of time. I'm also doing a lot of time on podcasts and I like listening to yours and others mm -hmm. about, because I just feel like that format for me in some ways is easier than reading. It's more digestible. It's more bite-sizable. And I feel like people are really opening up in this format in a way that you just feel like you're there with them. And so for me, that's much more digestible, I think, than, than sometimes even reading, um, reading books. Um, I'm reading to my kids right now. We, we have a book out on the coffee table that's called, um, don't be a dick, which is just a book about, you know, be a nice person. Mm -hmm. And I think in this kind of period of time in COVID, that's like a really important thing to remember, <laughs> especially when you're on top of people 24 seven, uh, that you, you know, and seeing the same people all the time. You earned your MBA at Michigan Ross. And while there, you were the lead writer of the annual comic show, the Follies. Oh man. Did, did you learn that you're a good comic <laughs> writer or not? <laughs> I, I'm a great comic writer if I ask myself that question. Um, you know, if I'm going to be honest about it, if you were to say, like, what job would you go do? Like, going and writing and filmmaking and, and, and comedy would be, like, if I was really good at it, is what I would have loved to have gone and done. And a couple buddies of mine um, who was also the lead writer and the guy who was a director decided to do that together. And I worked – I put – 200% plus more of my time in creating that show than I did in any class that I took at Michigan, like literally. And, uh, and I love the program. I mean, I still have the DVDs today. My kids are like, what are those? Like, it's DVD, man. Like we're going to watch, we're going to go back and watch this because I put a lot of time into it. And, um, and I loved it. It was such a fun experience to write and then also to bring a cast together and then like have to create and have to make it. And in a lot of ways, that was a great advertising marketing experiment for me too. Um, and so I love, I, I, you know, comedies are, 
are, are my are some of my favorite movies and shows to watch. And so I'm always admiring people that are really good at it. Brad, who would you like to hear on the CMO podcast? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, this summer I did, um, I did, a, I did the, the first ever conversation. Um, it was actually through Adweek and it was with a bunch of other Asian CMOs um, that, that are having impact on their business. And so a handful come to mind, Cynthia Chen, Marvin Chow, Judy Leah, Pinterest, um, any of those people would be great. And, and the reason I bring it up is because we had kind of talked about, um, you know, there's been a lot of good conversation about multicultural and, and oftentimes Asian as a, as a multicultural sometimes gets left a little bit behind. And so if there's ways to help promote the folks that are doing great work um, from that, from that area, I'd love to see and hear from some of them. Terrific. We will do that. It's a great idea. And last word to you, Brad, anything you want to ask me? What do you think is going to, you know, kind of a similar question back to you. What is your hope for like, kind of, as you, as you talk to all these leaders, all these CMOs and marketers, like, what do you hope to see from, you know, all a cadre of leaders and where you think the industry should go in the future? Like where, where do you, you know, I'm sure you see it going a specific direction, but where would you like to see it go and what impact would you like to see it have? whether for businesses or, or beyond? I think the biggest thing we're going to see, Brad, is everything you talked about. People are going to be using, someone else use this language, I'm stealing it, using their balance sheet for good. Yeah. So we're going to build brands who will grow with their consumers because they're doing the right thing and they're picking the right things to work on. So it's not an either or, you know, it's an and. Yep. So yep. I think you're, you're going to see um, social impact, societal impact, environmental impact, a bigger part of our brand building going forward. It's going to be in all the brand frameworks and brand pyramids. Yeah, I think you're going to see more uh, empathetic and engaged leaders because that's what employees want, they need. And I think we're seeing through COVID, the ones that are managing their organizations with empathy and understanding and high standards are the ones who are excelling. Yeah. So I think leadership and I think the way we think about brands in society is shifting. And I think those are going to be massive changes. Those all make tons of sense. And you mentioned the consistency of utility. That's something that comes up a lot, I feel like, just broadly in mm -hmm. conversations. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. So, Brad, uh, this has been uh, this, this hour flew by. I only got to about half of my questions, which is a good sign. So. <laughs> Or I'm long-winded. <laughs> no, no. Thank you for your generosity and your insights. It was, uh, it, it was a remarkable discussion. So I, I thank you. It's going, to be, it's going to be a wonderful podcast. Thanks so much, Jim, for taking me, and, and taking me on and, and asking these great questions. I really appreciate it. That was my conversation with Brad Hiranaga. Some of the areas of this conversation that I felt were really mind-opening, I loved when Brad talked about how brand building will change coming through this pandemic. He talked about how brands need to be much more useful how we have to be thinking about the experience much more, and how leaders need to be way more human. I also thought his discussion about trusting your gut and your intuition and your instinct, even when the data leads you in a different direction, never, never, never ignore what your gut says. And finally, when we talked about leadership, I loved how he talked about Paul Pullman being a key leader and a key role model for him. He's, he's a leadership student, he's reading leadership books, and his role models are inspiring for all of us. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. 
If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.